Hello, and welcome back to Meet the Investigators from the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. I'm your host, Carmen Molina Costa, a producer here at ICIJ, and I'm here with our online editor, Hamish Boland-Rudder. G'day, Carmen. If you're joining us for the first time today, Meet the Investigators is a podcast where we hear from ICIJ journalists from across the globe. Yeah, for today's episode, I sat down with ICIJ member Neil Chenoweth here in Australia. G'day, I'm Neil Chenoweth. I'm a senior writer with the Australian Financial Review, which is the national finance daily in Australia. Now, Carmen, I've known Neil for quite a few years now, going back to ICIJ's 2014 Luxembourg leaks investigation. He's one of those reporters who can break down some of the most complex financial schemes to find the real issues and the big scandals. This year, Neil's been onto a cracker of a story here in Australia. Uh, it became a bit of an international crisis for auditing firm PricewaterhouseCoopers, or PwC, as they're better known. Here's a snippet of Neil summarizing the story for an episode of his newspaper's podcast, The Fin. The story began back in January when the punchiest little regulator you've never heard of called the Tax Practitioners Board, often called the TPB. They announced that they'd sanctioned the biggest accounting firm in the country, PwC, and its star international tax chief, Peter Collins. More importantly, they explained why they had done this. Collins had advised Treasury from 2013 to 2018 on new laws. These new anti-avoidance laws, which were part of the OECD, cracked down on multinationals not paying tax. Well, despite signing three confidentiality agreements over that time, Collins blithely shared the confidential information he was getting from Treasury with his colleagues at PwC. They used it as part of a marketing drive to win new clients, selling solutions that sidestepped the new laws that Collins was helping Treasury to write. To quickly bring us up to speed, uh, PwC initially tried to shrug the story off as an isolated incident, but a, a trove of PwC emails were made public as part of a Senate investigation into the scandal, and those emails showed that a number of PwC partners were involved, using secret government information to essentially pitch new tax schemes to huge multinational companies. So in short, you have a PwC consultant taking what they learned while helping the government write new tax laws turn around and use that same confidential info to help the firm's clients dodge those same new laws? Yeah, pretty much. Neil, what's been happening over the past few months? How have PwC and the Australian government responded? The problem for PwC was that it had spent months playing this down, saying it was just one bad apple, this guy Peter Collins, he'd crossed the line, but, you know, he'd now left the firm, so let's move on. But from the moment the Senate released the internal PwC emails on late on May 2, it was clear this story just couldn't wash. And people were really angry uh, about what it showed. I mean, there were 144 pages of emails, and while names had been redacted, you could still work out there were at least 50 people who were on these email chains. We broke the story on on the Tuesday morning, and that afternoon, the CEO of PwC Australia, um, Tom Seymour, had a power partners meeting, and he said, look, all of the people that were directly involved in these leaks have now left the firm. By Friday, he was forced to say, well, actually, he was on the emails. Uh, by the weekend, PwC Global was in a complete panic about it. They parachuted a team in to review and take control of, of, the, of the situation. By Monday, Tom Seymour, the CEO, has uh, stepped down. 
Um, this was the first of a whole series of departures, which has taken cleared out most of the senior ranks at, of the executives at PEWC, as they kept trying to find a way to bring this story to an end there. And it was always too little too late. From there, the crisis snowballed into a scandal of international proportions. Okay, I understand straits look dire for PwC Australia, but what's the worry in the bigger picture? PwC had had two concerns. PwC Global, I I should say. First of all, the reason they got involved so early was that they were desperate to to protect their US clients because the whole scheme had been to allow big US multinationals like Microsoft and Google, Facebook and Uber to sidestep these new um, uh, tax avoidance laws that specifically targeted multinationals there. And now these companies found themselves at the centre of this huge scandal. PwC Global's second concern was that these weren't just Australian emails, because PwC partners in the US, the UK, Singapore and Ireland were also involved to varying degrees in the attempts by PwC Australia to make money from the leaked government inf- information. And the risk here was, was contagion. They didn't want this crisis in Australia to, to spread. Um, so they cleaned out most of the Australian executive and they brought in their own outside CEO, Kevin Burrows. Meanwhile, the government, for its part, was filthy with PwC because it, it had accepted its reassurances since January that it was all just one bad player. And the bipartisan response was just complete fury. The scandal dominated headlines in Australia for months. Top PwC partners were lambasted by Senate committees and the federal and state governments began closely scrutinizing all their relationships with audit firms. And almost all government consultancy work by PwC was frozen or it wasn't renewed. The consultancy arm for PwC was worth about a billion, billion dollars. And suddenly it was worth nothing. And in fact, they sold it to a private equity firm for one dollar. PwC found itself faced with three government inquiries and the biggest crackdown of financial advisors in Australian history. It's really interesting how these stories have unraveled over time. Uh, As you pointed out, Neil, it's kind of gone through various iterations. PwC trying to cover it up, trying to hold it down. It feels like the story still has some legs. Where do you think it's heading? PwC Australia is just caught in, in this time loop of, of bad media, inadequate response, more bad media, you know, that they just can't es- escape from. Um, I think one of the questions that has been raised out of this has been the role of the, of the Australian Tax Office and why it took nearly six years for all this, all this stuff to come out, come out after they first discovered these emails in 2007-17. And Hamish, you have to bear in mind that the Tax Office didn't want any of this to spill out into the, the public. It was this tiny regulator, the Tax Practitioners Board, who just has 150 staff, as opposed to the 18,000 people at the ATO. Um, they went beyond their brief, uh, and this is the only reason the story has come out. The Tax Office still thinks all of this fuss has been unnecessary. And it's not the Tax Office didn't try to move the matter forward over those six years. They consulted with the Federal Police, they talked to the Public Prosecutor, they considered tax promoter penalties, and, and finally they, they passed it to the to the Tax Practitioners Board, or rather they referred Peter Collins to the Tax Practitioners Board. Just him, no no one else. And when the Tax Practitioners Board expanded this inquiry from just focusing on Collins and to look at the role of PwC itself, the, the Tax Office was absolutely furious, 
and they refused to supply any more documentation to the in, to the in, investigators. I mean, I think they wanted something done about it, but they didn't want to rock the boat. Uh, and, and even this year, the tax office was vehemently opposed to the release of the emails to the Senate. So it's this sort of dysfunctional relationship between PwC and all of the big four firms and the tax office and the cosy deals behind doors that there are real questions about now. Yeah, I think that that's a really interesting aspect of it because the crux of the scandal is this cosy relationship. Is this something that we see elsewhere for PwC? Is this like a common practice for audit firms for how they operate? You know, is this a pattern that we're going to see globally? The two mistakes you can make in looking at this is to say, well, A, it's only Australia that does stuff like this and B, it's only PwC that does stuff, stuff like this. I mean, one of the things that made clear to me is that PwC is itself a global enterprise, like the multinationals that it serves, and all the big four firms are. Uh, when it deals with multinationals, it's not, it's not just PwC partners in one country that are involved. Uh, it's a global solution, like this trans-border movement there. Reading your stories this year about the scandal, my mind, of course, went straight back to ICRJ's 2014 Luxembourg leaks investigation, which you were also involved in. Uh, that investigation revealed um, how these big audit firms were helping giant multinational corporations cut their tax bills to almost nothing. Most of the leaked files we used for that investigation came from inside PwC. Uh, but around the same time, here was PwC in Australia also advising the government on how to design its tax policy. It all feels very ironic. In Australia, PwC was assuring me that they'd never get involved in tax avoidance advice, they'd never try to influence the tax office, that their habit of embedding PwC staff to work at Treasury at PwC's expense while they paid their salaries was just part of the firm's public spiritedness. Um, what their quote was, there was no conflict of interest in providing advice to the tax office whilst also providing professional advice to clients. That was their quote at this very time that these OEC documents that I talked about were being shared, that, that they were that the whole Peter Collins stuff was kind of starting to, to take take off. And at the same time that PwC Luxembourg is pressing criminal charges for stealing data. And then in April 2015, there was the Australian Senate had a corporate tax inquiry and there was Tom Seymour. He was then the uh, uh, head of tax. I have the utmost faith in the ethical standards of the people we employ. And I think that we have a great contribution to make to how we make Australia's tax laws work better. Sitting right beside him was our old friend Peter Collins, and that kind of says it all about the the ability to say one thing in public and in and in private to do exactly the reverse. I'm sitting here trying not to laugh on this recording because it just it almost feels comical at, at times the the level of irony at this this big global firm and what the left hand claims it didn't know the right hand was doing. <laughs> Hamish, I loved this part of this interview because I loved hearing you guys get to reminisce about your old investigations and the problems that <laughs> continue to exist and you continue to investigate. Yeah, so Neil and I have been working together for such a long time and sometimes I think we forget uh, the size of these stories. And so I asked Neil if there was a moment working on this PwC investigation where the magnitude of the story really hit him. I think when the when we got an advanced copy of the emails 
on May 1, it was just hard to believe this, this stuff. It was just like page after page of these, these guys obviously doing whatever they wished to. Um, when they didn't know something, they would just go to the Treasury or the ATO to, to find out, and then that got plugged in, into the whole scheme. And at the same time, there was so much need for speed because we had a uh, slightly advanced knowledge of it, but you have to deal with it so, so quickly. So, yeah, it was fraught. The, 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 the thing that I've learned this year is that if you report a story once, it doesn't kind of kind of go anywhere, particularly for that financial re review, which is a specialist publication. You have to write it and write it and write it and write it. So we've written stories every day for three months, and that's an exhausting process. Um, it achieves change, uh, but it's a pretty full-on experience. So I don't know there's been enough time to kind of sit back because the story can, continues to evolve, really. Neil is no stranger to big stories and investigations like this. Yeah, that's right. He's won Australia's top journalism awards, authored a number of books. He's covered some of Australia's biggest financial scandals, from one of the country's most infamous insider traders uh, through to exposés of Australia's media empires, including a number of investigations into Rupert Murdoch's businesses. Neil, how do you approach these big investigations that you work on? I don't think there's any kind of simple solution. I think you, you, you just need to have be completely com committed to it. Um, it's like uh, rock climbing. You've got to find a way, way up there. Often it's just being able to juggle a whole bunch of different sources of, of information. And for me, it's about producing a, a time timeline. I think you keep your notes as detailed as can be. You, you keep the timeline as as in, integrated as it can be. It's like a paper chase because all big transactions throw off bits of paper. So you need to think kind of sideways in terms of ways of tr tracking this stuff and predicting where you might be able to, to find something to back up, back up the story that you're chasing. Um, and I think working with other people's great. I think you can learn a lot from other watching other people's tech techniques. They all have have them, and it's one of ICIJ's strengths is to be able to kind of like share share them and watch how good other other people are. I've had a stutter since I was a child. Uh, it's particularly bad on the phone. <laughs> That's not your your natural kind of skill that you would look for in a in a reporter. And I think it, in as part of that is made me look much more at what is the documentary trail that I can look at. The other thing is when you've got a really big story, there comes a moment when, when the story push, pushes back, when the, the story threatens to disintegrate. You're, you've, you've spent weeks or months or however long de developing this case and they come back with a flat denial. It's just, it's just not true. Boom, you know. And you have to reevaluate and think. Well, maybe it's maybe I've just seen it completely, completely wrong. And so, what you've got to do is, you have to make sure that your technique up to that point is solid enough that even when that denial comes in, you're strong enough to say yes, we can continue that story. It's not, it's not rec recklessness. It's just being prepared. So, Neil, you got your start as a cadet reporter straight out of university, working for the Brisbane Telegraph. 
How has journalism changed since you first got started in the field? We used to uh, phone all of our stories through. So you had these bank of telephonists back in the office who would then type out your stories. You know, there's nothing worse than having to go into a phone booth on a hot midsummer day and the person before before you has just farted. (laughs) That's not a problem now. (laughs) When I started the Financial Review 30 years ago, you had a a computer monitor, uh, but no internet uh, connection. And things have changed a heap from that. The actual process of in- investigating is is easier because of the multitude of other sources that you can turn to, while at the same time that same technological advance has undercut the, the e- e- economies of the uh, newsrooms. At the end of the, the day, you're not going to give the time or the resources to do the, to, to chase the stories that that you want, and the difference is going to be your determination that no matter what roadblocks that you have, no matter what restrictions that you have, you're still going to chase that particular story. You do it in your own time. If if you have to pay for the searches yourself, that's that's what you do. But it's just your determination that's that's the only thing that will actually push push you through there. That was Neil Chenoweth. Uh, you can keep an eye out for more updates on the PwC tax leak scandal at icij.org or Neil's reporting over at the Financial Review. That's it for this month's Meet the Investigators. I'm Hamish Bolandrider. And I'm Carmen Molina-Costa. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next month.